this is potentially extraordinarily costly and was totally avoidable. I mean, it is really regrettable that, uh, that this, this is a huge failure of American public policy, and it didn't have to happen. Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Adam Davidson. And I'm Alex Bloomberg. Today is Wednesday, September 9th. That was John Snow you just heard, President Bush's second Treasury Secretary. And if that clip sounds familiar, well, that means you are a faithful Planet Money listener. It is from our second podcast ever on September 9th, 2008. That is right. Alex, today we are celebrating Planet Money's one-year anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, <That's> Neil. <laughs> you seem very excited. Yeah, I love that sound effect. Can we hear it one more time? <laughs> Excellent. Clearly, that shows that we are excited over here at Planet Money headquarters, and I cannot believe we made it a whole year. But you know, we almost forgot the Planet Money indicator. That's right, which is also something unbelievable. It is 16 basis points. It's so unbelievable, I don't believe it. 16 basis points, that is the current TED spread. And as faithful listeners know, I think our, the TED spread was our very first ever economic indicator. The, the TED spread, as we've explained before, is, is basically the difference between what people charge banks to borrow money and what people charge the U.S. government to borrow money. Um, it's basically a, a measure of how freaked out the financial system is. And last fall, in the heat of the financial crisis, the TED spread was crazily high, just insanely high, up above 400 for a while. Anything above, you know, 75 or 80 is a sign of fear. When it gets above 100 or 150, you're talking about pure panic. So 400, that's sort of crazy. And so seeing it down at 16, that is like full on Zen calm. That's almost too calm. It's sort of weird. Right. So it would be nice to say, woohoo, it's at 16, the fi- financial crisis is over, but we should keep in mind the U.S. government and the Fed are aggressively pushing that number down. You know, they've made it clear big banks are not going to be allowed to fail. They're going to keep making money available for very low rates to lots and lots of banks. Right. So and if the Fed and the Treasury stopped these extraordinary measures, we'd see people worrying about banks again, and the TED spread would certainly shoot up. And the panic would return. So one year ago this week, one year ago yesterday... Alex, we had our first ever Planet Money podcast, and it did not go at all how we planned. It did not. Yeah. You and I had spent the summer carefully planning this new thing that we were going to launch in the fall, this Planet Money podcast. And we'd worked really hard trying to figure out, like, what is going to be our first ever Planet Money podcast? And we had this story by Hannah Jaffe Walt. Planet Money team member extraordinaire. Um, And we thought it embodied perfectly what our approach was going to be, sort of finding hidden, little-known, fascinating narrative tales about the global economy. I remember at one point there were six people editing this piece at the (laughs) same time because we were so – we wanted it to be perfect. And we'd worked for months and months and months, and then we were like, okay, this is going to be the thing that starts off this whole new experiment. Hey, Neil, can you uh, play that tape? Last year, six pieces of metal almost cost Ben Hempstead half a million dollars, the biggest job of his life, and held up the largest plane in history. But let's start with an introduction. Ben's a mechanical engineer, this place called Electro Impact, Muckleteo, Washington, near Seattle. And here is Ben speaking in his favorite language, aerospace geek speak. And now we're talking about the A380 wing riveter again. So this is this great story. It's like sort of links the troubles at Airbus, the airplane manufacturer, to wind farms in China and metal workers in Germany. And we had it in the can and it was all ready to go. And I remember I 
was like, okay, the first Planet Money podcast is all set. I'm going on vacation. And I left for two weeks. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then as, as you were on the road somewhere heading to your relaxing vacation that weekend a year ago, September 7th, the world fell apart. The economy started to rip apart. Uh, I ended up having to put aside Hannah's wonderful story for many months and recorded a hastily rewritten podcast in my living room that Sunday. Uh, that was the day the U.S. government rescued Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. I am Adam Davidson, international economics correspondent for National Public Radio. And I'm just starting to run something new here at NPR. We're calling it Planet Money. And our goal is to take the big, complex global economic issues, the kind of thing I think most people feel like they really should know a lot about and understand, but they don't and they get really confused. Um, well, our job here, or what we're trying to do, is to make this all easier for you. We're working really hard, and hopefully we'll succeed, at least most of the time, to help you understand how the world economy works and how it affects your life. And right now, this right here is our first ever podcast. Dun da dum. <laughs> so that was that was before we had fancy fancy sound effects like we like have, the horn like yeah. we have right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. And uh, yeah, I I remember that first podcast we interviewed Brad Setzer about Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac in China. Um, the whole week was absolutely crazy. Um, it's both a total blur, but I also remember so many flashes from it. I recorded the podcast on Sunday again in my living room, then ran upstairs, posted it uh, on the Internet, then grabbed a cab, went to JFK to fly down to Virginia for this conference of former finance ministers from around the world because I figured they'd have a great perspective on this sudden crisis. David Kestenbaum met me there. That was his first official day as part of Planet Money. And um, so, Alex, you know, David and I were working really hard in Virginia. Laura was up here uh, getting the blog and podcast started. And remind me, what were you doing during that <laughs> crucial week, the most important week in financial news history, maybe? I was on vacation in a small town on the coast of Maine with no cell phone or Internet access. Thank you very much. Sounds pretty nice, Alex. Sounds relaxing. Um <laughs> So I, I, I do remember the second podcast very vividly. It was uh, something like one or two in the morning. I was recording it in my hotel room uh, and then couldn't get Internet access and had to uh, drive out and off on the side of a road was using my laptop cell phone connection to to upload the podcast to Laura back in New York. I can just remember sitting by the side of the road yelling at my laptop, upload, upload. <laughs> so, well, let's hear a little bit of that second podcast, which was the fruits of all this um, uploading labor, right? This is the Planet Money podcast, where we try and take the confusing economic issues of the day and make them, well, make them a little less confusing. I am in Charlottesville, Virginia. This is uh, Tuesday, September 9th, just a couple days after the rescue of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And, and I so basically, this first podcast, you're just at this big conference, Sunday. just going around and interviewing all these different finance ministers. And, you know, the, the, the immensity of what was going on in the global economy is... is dawning on me interview by interview. There was this one really intense moment for me when I talked to the former finance minister of Italy, Domenico Siniscalco. The bankruptcy of uh, Fannie and Freddie would have made Armageddon, would have made... Uh, what do you mean Armageddon? A meltdown of the financial system. The global financial Yeah, of the global financial system. I had never heard this idea, I don't think, before then that 
Wait, we the, the global financial system might melt down. This is big. This is really, really big. And it's obviously an idea that we lingered on quite a bit in the following year. But this is when when we're first learning about it. And there's this other really annoying phrase I kept hearing um, at that conference. And it's a phrase that has really defined a lot of the last year for, for everybody. Too big to fail, no doubt. They are too big to fail. Everyone tells me this. They're too big to fail. So I don't understand what that means. I mean, that doesn't mean they're too good to fail, obviously, because they were run pretty badly. Too big in that that they were ubiquitous. Everyone held their assets. They were enormous. Let me cut in here real quick. That's Tim Adams, former undersecretary of the Treasury for the United States. He basically was America's chief financial diplomat. And uh, I've known him over the years, uh, a really smart guy. And this is the most uh, hyperbolic, the most extreme I've ever heard him talk. Uh, Let's get back to his explanation of the size of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and why he sees them as too big to fail. Think about a portfolio that's $5 trillion. That's half the size of, of the U.S. economy, a large fraction of the global economy. So when you have something of that magnitude that is so systemically important, it can have a, an important effect if just even small variations in their price. But just to let them go would have, I wouldn't say cataclysmic, but you run the risk of near cataclysmic set of conditions. That was the week that we first sort of heard all these annoying phrases that we'd come to hear again and again and again. Too big to fail, systemically important. Meltdown of the global financial system. <laughs> Cataclysm. Right. <laughs> and so I came back from Virginia. Uh, you, you were still on vacation, but we felt <laughs> like, oh, my goodness, that was intense. God, if Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac that had collapsed, there really would have been a real financial crisis. But by the end of the week, we were feeling like, okay, that's over. We dodged a big one. And then that next weekend, we started hearing about all these other problems in the world that the insurance company that everyone thought of as one of the safest companies in the world, AIG, might be in very serious trouble. Then we heard that the U.S. government was deciding not to bail out Lehman Brothers, which was in a lot of trouble over that following weekend. So that Monday, we had our third ever podcast, and Laura Conaway had been you know, scouring the blog and, and, and monitoring the emails, and we were getting all of these questions from, from our listeners saying, please, I don't understand what's going on. Help me understand it. Explain it. And uh, actually, in, in answer to one question, I, I did something I, I really, really shouldn't have done, and I made a prediction about the stock market. This is from Jenny, who says she's not in the banking industry, doesn't trade stocks, considers herself an average worker with average 401k, trying to pay back her student loan. Can you explain how the events of the weekend affect an average Jane like me, and how should I respond? I would say the uh, events over the weekend, Lehman Brothers declaring bankruptcy, Merrill Lynch selling itself to Bank of America in a last-minute panic move, these don't really affect you and are unlikely to affect you in any serious way. They do in some ways make the whole global economic system feel a little less stable, and in other ways they make the global economic system slightly more stable, which we can get into later. But uh, unless there is some global systemic crisis, which is unlikely but possible, unless that happens, there really isn't an effect for you. So I think unless you're curious about it, you can feel free to ignore it for now. 
It's really shocking how wrong you can look in retrospect, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is very painful. <laughs> a, never make predictions about the stock market. That's always stupid. But in the bigger picture, I think this whole crisis has taught me and I think everyone who looks at the economy an, an awful lot of modesty. Well, but you were also – I mean you did say there's possible – that like it's not that you were totally blind to the possibility. You just didn't think it was likely, which a lot of people were saying at that time, right? Right, right. And remember, this this was Monday, September 15th uh, when we recorded the podcast. The crisis really did still seem contained that – AIG was in the process of being rescued. The government was telling us Lehman Brothers was not a systemically important institution. It was okay to let them fail. And so it really did seem like this would really hurt a small number of people, but not spread very, very large until that evening. Of course, long after the podcast was posted and we learned that the Reserve Fund, which is the oldest and most trusted money market mutual fund, had a little too much money invested in Lehman Brothers bonds. They lost some money. They did this thing called breaking the buck. Right. And on Tuesday and Wednesday, the crisis really took off. Investors all over the world freaked out about the reserve fund and started taking money out of everything and buying the most secure thing they could, U.S. Treasury bonds. And, and that week was so crazy. But it wasn't until the next week and, and, you know, when you came back from vacation and we um, really started digging into the story that we understood just how cataclysmic uh, things had gotten. Uh, I think it was in this very studio. I remember it vividly. We called Mark Peterson, the treasurer at Service Master, and, and he told us what the week of September 15th felt like to him. For those of you, you know, have experienced an earthquake you know, some people say it's a soul-wrenching experience because you realize there's a power out there that's doing something that you have no control over whatsoever, and it's massively moving everything. And that's last week. Last week, there was a monster that was unleashed. The commercial paper market, which is the most liquid market probably in the world for high-grade financial um, players, basically froze up. I think you and I and everyone in America was going through a crash course in finance during those weeks. Right. I mean, remember, we were learning so much about the commercial paper market. I, I had heard of it. I didn't really know what it was. And we learned that it's this huge market in America where corporations and banks and others borrow and lend money on a, on a daily basis. And it, and it provides the, the fluid cash that allows our system to, to move. Uh, the reserve fund, when they broke the buck, a lot of the assets they had were, were basically bonds, lent money they lent in the commercial paper market. And so when the reserve fund crashed and no one trusted any money market mutual fund, suddenly the commercial paper market dries up and no companies can get this short-term cash. And it was just this example of all these dominoes were constantly falling. And that was one of the, the Lehman failure led to the reserve fund. The reserve fund led to the commercial paper market drying up. And there was just sort of – it was just – one after the other, and you had no idea sort of when is this going to stop? We spent a lot of time in, in those weeks uh, in lower Manhattan and the Wall Street area on you know places we never would think would be an exciting center of, of uh, you know financial collapse, like this bond trading floor. You remember our trip <laughs> yeah, there? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Daiwa Securities. Yeah. I remember that guy, Paul Balaika. He totally freaked us out. As a person involved in the front end, um, the, I don't think I've ever been this nervous in my career because I think the financial system was so close to locking up. And, and you know, the, 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 I think we were real close to the abyss, the ultimate freezing of the financial system. 
the ultimate freezing of the financial system. Right. <laughs> wow. And it turns out that that's what we just barely managed to avoid in those crazy weeks. It looked like it was going to die, and then it didn't die. The acute phase of this financial crisis clearly hit in in those weeks. I mean, you can date it probably to September 15th. That was sort of the trigger. I mean, that wasn't the cause, but that was sort of the catalyst, I guess you could sort of say. Of the acute phase. And, yeah. and But of course, as you know, we've reported uh, a lot, the the makings of this crisis are many years earlier and many dumb decisions and, and you know, naive decisions or whatever made by government and investors and lots and lots of other people, journalists, over the previous five or six years. But, but it wasn't until that week that we understood just the size of this crisis. But even in that week, remember, that was just the beginning. We didn't really know what was to come. And if you think back that week, unemployment was only 6%. It's now almost about 10 The stock market... Sorry, Adam, I know that we don't like talking about the stock market. It was nearly 2,000 points higher than it is today. Yeah, looking back at those crazy days, remember another big phrase that we kept hearing in September of last year was from Wall Street to Main Street. And and people were saying, this is a crisis just on Wall Street. It doesn't affect me on Main Street. Right, exactly. And we were having to work really hard to sort of show people like, oh, this does affect you, even though it seems like it's just happening in these weird trading floors everywhere. And Um, there was a lot of people believed we would not enter a recession, even though we now know we already had begun one. Right. So, and then, of course, the rest of this year, We've basically been documenting how exactly this crisis has gone from Wall Street to Main Street. And And we don't know now where it's going to end. And how Main Street's going to get out of it, exactly. Um, Well, I guess that wraps it up for us. Visit our blog at npr.org slash money. Or please send us a note. We love getting your notes and pictures and ideas at planetmoney at npr.org. I'm Adam Davidson. And I'm Alex Bloomberg. Thank you for listening. I'm